Hey, it's Nathan Resnick. Welcome back to Product Sourcing Stories. Today we have one of my favorite, favorite just experts in 3PL logistics, Andrew from Tipsy Elves. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Can you give us a quick 30-second introduction about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Andrew Sutton, and I'm the Director of Operations, Logistics, and Fulfillment with Tipsy Elves. And I'm currently on my eighth year with Tipsy Elves. It's amazing. So, so I want to really just like dive in. How did you choose your first 3PL, you know, walk us through that process. Definitely. Yeah. So when I first joined Tipsy Elves, they were actually already had their first 3PL selected. Um, but part of my role at that time was to really manage that 3PL relationship. And I was just kind of a recent college grad willing to do whatever it took to get my hands dirty and, and help the company. Um, but it was about a year or two after that, we quickly outgrew our 3PL and it was, it was just becoming very obvious that we needed to find a, a 3PL solution that we could grow into and that could grow with us. And so that hunt really began with, uh, we, I think I, I looked at the list of the internet retailer top 100 e-com brands at that point and made a list of the, the most commonly featured 3PLs and created that target list. And that's kind of where we, we started our list um, and started our hunt. So went one by one RFP right. process calls, um, eventually scheduled some, some on-site visits with our favorite potentials. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was really my first exposure into the 3PL world. And I think wow. on a service level, you think a 3PL just picks and packs and ships orders, but there's so much more that goes in. Right, right. So, so walk us through your process of determining whether a 3PL is a good fit or a bad fit. Definitely, yeah. So I think really it, it, it begins at looking at the 3PL's history and see where they've, where they've been, where they've come from, and where they currently are. Um, and a lot of that has to do with speaking with their, their current clients. Um, and I think referrals are key with whatever service provider you're looking at, but you really want to talk to a wide variety of clients and if they allow you former clients too. Um, cause a lot of people will give you their top one or two clients, um, right. referral and they just have glowing referrals, mm -hmm. but those might be like the company that's giving them the most money or whatever, and they're treating them the best and you just don't right. get that same experience, which you get in the door. Right. Um, so being able to speak to a good number of their clients current and past is key. And then I think a, a good indicator of a good 3PL is that they, they ask really good leading questions during the RFP process, trying to truly understand your brand, um, the seasonality, the growth potential, your customers, right. patients. Um, because I've been a part of a lot of RFPs and proposals where all they ask is how many orders and units in a year, and then mm -hmm. they do the numbers of how much money they can make off you, and they'll right. make a proposal. Um, but I, I really enjoy the 3PLs that on the front end kind of express concerns with certain things about your brand or things that they'll have to figure out. And just from day one, the first time you discuss with them, even before you sign on, you're kind of having open, honest, transparent communication. Right. That, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, 3PL has to be treated like a direct extension, a partner okay. of your own brand. Um, and you could source the best products, have the cleanest website ever, right. but if you can't pick, pack, and ship on time and accurately, it's going to ruin the customer's experience. Right, exactly. I mean, a 3PL really is you know, directly correlated to a customer's experience. That's so important. I'm curious, how crucial or how much significance does the location of a 3PL matter to you when you're making this, this, this decision? Like, let's say your products are coming in through the port of you know, Long Beach in L.A., you know, are you always looking for a 3PL in California or, you know, obviously if you have a lot of customers on the East coast, maybe you want to look on the East coast. I mean, what's that process look like when you consider a 3PL's location? Definitely. Yeah. And that, that's a great point. I think a lot of companies just look at just trying to have the most convenient location, which is typically closest to their headquarters, um, which is a huge benefit of being able to quickly access your products. But like you said, it, if you're a West coast company and our, our headquarters are in San Diego, um, in our early first couple of years, we were doing mainly cold weather gear, ugly Christmas sweaters, onesies, ski suits, and all our demand was in the Northeast. Mm. Um, so it didn't make sense. Even though we started with a 3PL at first in, in Southern California, we eventually moved it to New Jersey. 
um, just to be closer to try to save on transportation costs, time and transit, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, throughout the years now, we're, we're actually on our fourth operation, 3PL operation. And it's kind of, we've gone from Los Angeles to New Jersey to Brooklyn um, to actually, I guess, fifth now to Dallas and now wow. back to Los Angeles. Yeah. So it's kind of ever evolving just because our, our, our variety of products has, has changed now too. We, right. we have a huge demand for cold weather gear, but we're also doing spring, summer gear, right. wine shirts and stuff like that. So um, yeah, everything you mentioned is super important. I, I think saving on carrier costs and reducing time in transit is super important. Right. Um, yeah. And this, this is high volume. I mean, I read online tipsy elves has done over a hundred million dollars in sales. I mean, you guys are shipping, you know, thousands and thousands of units uh, every month, if not every day. Um, you know, I, I, one, a question that always comes up, especially as a brand grows, comes into international shipping. How does tipsy elves handle international shipping or how would you recommend a e-commerce founder handle international shipping? Definitely. Yeah. So international shipping is something I'll admit that we're, we're not exactly experts in. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with almost all of our demand is domestic. Uh, United States is pretty sp special and unique in the fact that we just love dressing up. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of our things are yeah, ugly Christmas sweaters or it's Halloween costumes or retro ski suits or St. Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras. Um, and, and there's some demand for that abroad, uh, especially up in Canada. But the first five or six years, we're purely focusing on domestic and then whatever trickled in internationally, we, we, we take and, and fulfill but it was a pretty small portion. And so what we're realizing is that our domestic customers are most focused on quick delivery transit. Um, and so they want things shipped, you know, same day, next day and delivered within two days, just because of the Amazon effect. Um, what we're seeing with international customers as we focus more on them is that they're willing to wait longer, mm -hmm. but they just want to pay a lot. Got it. Um, and I think they're just more used to, you know, issues and delays with export, with customs clearance, with, with uh, all those things that could maybe turn a, a three or four day delivery into like a five or six, they're, they're more accustomed to that. So they shop right. through the process. Um, and something that we're becoming more and more aware of too and focusing and trying to find a solution on currently is trying to figure out a way to bring the, the customs and duties um, situation earlier into the journey. So uh, just our, a lot of our main, main sellers like ugly Christmas sweaters due right. to the competition and the product type, they have pretty steep customs and duties charges. Mm. So our international customers are used to paying a fee upon delivery, but not as steep as they currently are with our products. Right. Uh, so we're trying to remove that shock uh, that they experience upon delivery. And so we're, we're currently vetting a couple of solutions to include a customs and duties calculator at checkout. Got it. And so at least the international customer is aware of it and they could have the, the choice to uh, prepay at checkout. Right. All and so it's the product and shipping costs and then customs costs at the same time. Got uh, it. Makes a lot of sense. And so at least they're aware of what will eventually be expected. Um, right upon delivery because yeah, you hear stories of customers getting goods internationally and then they have to pay you know x amount additional for customs and it's a surprise yeah, yeah. and kind of hurts that customer experience for sure yeah and it, we we want to make sure all the way through delivery they're not shocked by anything we want to remove right. all potential friction um and be as honest and transparent as possible and so i admit this is some an area that we've been pretty weak on uh historically just because we haven't placed a lot of focus but we're realizing it, it's just i mean right. international demand uh american trends are just getting more and more popular so we, we really want to focus on it especially it. as you have you feel like we have a pretty good um situation with domestic shipping definitely definitely so when you look at a 3pl i mean you've you mentioned you've gone through five different 3pls and a whole bunch of you know rfp processes you know what's the key metrics that you look at in a new 3pl i mean is it like warehouse space is it number of units that they're shipping out a day i mean like kind of walk us through a view when you're analyzing a new 3PL in terms of the exact metrics you're looking at from an existing 3PL standpoint? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. 
so there's a lot of good metrics to look at. And I guess I just want to preface it by saying our, our brands, um, on-time shipping and delivery is important for every brand for experience, but almost all of our orders are for a specific date or event. So if we're shipping something late and they have an ugly Christmas sweater party on a Friday night, and our package ships late, arrives on Monday, it's, it's usually worthless to that customer and it's, they're right. pretty upset, want to return, refund it. Um, whereas if you just order a pair of shoes or jeans, you're, you might be bummed it shows up late, but you can still find another excuse to wear that. So I think we take three PL relationships and metrics probably uh, more serious than most brands hopefully have to, um, but it's the crux of our business. So we just have to, so this might be overkill, but the metrics we're looking at um, are not only their on-time shipping percentages against whatever SLA agreement. Um, usually three PLs will, will commit to something like the high 97, 98% on time within 24 hours is kind of common mm -hmm. um, depending on the size of your account. Um, then we also look at their performance on a, a, a weekly average, a weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly average. Um, other metrics are how many units and, and orders can they pick per man hour and ship per man hour. Because um, warehouses just need to know that information on in the forefront if they're going to be able to staff your account properly. Totally. So those are kind of like the outbound metrics we re really look at. Um, and we've seen just as like a side note that a good warehouse should be able to ship twice as many units and orders in, in a man hour than they can pick. So if they're picking 50, 50 orders an hour, then they should be right. able, and that's just a random side note. Uh -huh. um, so that's kind of the outbound and an inbound where we're looking at, we, we kind of tie returns and PO receipt at the same, uh, in the same bucket. And we, we're just seeing like how many units they, they can process in a, again, a man hour. Or, mm -hmm. um, just because you, if you have something sent in your doc for a week, that's just lost time. Right. So make sure that they're being able to re return uh, or receive returns in a timely manner for customer experience, but also get your new POs in stock ASAP. So, you're start it. Filling. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a combination of inbound and outbound. Um, but it's, right. really and it's very analytically driven. I mean, you're looking at all these metrics, you know, as detailed as the man hour and what's yeah. going on with each shipment. So I've got to ask, I mean, you've been through five different, you know, three PLs. There's got to be some nightmare stories, you know, you don't have to name names, but uh, I'd love to hear any, you know, nightmare stories you're able to share. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, through the years, we, we've definitely learned some, some hard lessons. And when it comes to fulfillment, we're pretty hands off to begin with. And just over the years, as I mentioned, on-time shipping is the crux of our business. So we've become more and more involved in seeing the insides of it, almost every 3PL that we work at now. And um, I'd say our biggest nightmare, which has popped up a few times as we've had a couple operations um, rely on the replenishment system of a warehouse mm. and replenishment essentially is where you have one active location per SKU. Um, and it holds 12, 15, 20 units and everything else is up in reserve. So that's up in racks, two, three, four racks up that can only be accessible forklift cherry picker, um, which is great in terms of maximizing capacity, uh, or usage in a warehouse or storage, but during high volume output days, it just throws a wrench, um, in the whole entire system. Because essentially if that active location runs out of units or there's not enough units in that active location to, uh, fulfill all the orders, then a re replenishment task goes out to where someone, they, they essentially shut down the aisle. So no one can pick on that whole entire aisle. Right. They, they bring a forklift in, bring more inventory down to the active location so they can resume picking. Um, and our, our seasonality, our slowest days, um, our, our heaviest days are about 40 times the size of our slowest days. Wow. Um, when we get peak season and we're relying on replenishment, it just throws, we're having a replenishment pass nonstop all day long. Um, so that's been our biggest pain point. And early on, we just wanted to, you know, pay the, the cheapest fees we could in terms of storage and replenishment. Right. best way to do that. But we found during peak season, it's going to cost us way more in delayed shipments and just additional man hours, right. customer service issues than it would ever save us. Um, so replenishment, there's been times that we've been 
just behind thousands and thousands of orders because the wow. system couldn't replen. Um, and then one true nightmare relating to this replenishment story is one time um, the replenishment system, the WMS, the warehouse management system, wasn't working properly. And the replenishment tasks weren't kicking off before the pick task went out. Oh, so geez. we had warehouse staff going to pick locations that were completely empty because the replenishment task was getting kicked off after the pick task. Um, and that's something that popped up in like late September going into Halloween season. Right. Um, and wasn't truly fixed until like almost Christmas. Wow. So we're, we're talking about, yeah, just and an that's the busy season in. for, you know, all yeah, these products. Uh, exactly. That's really when we, when we pick up and we'll walk around the warehouse, we'll see all the actual locations empty and we look up and all like the inventory's up above and we're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Wow. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, I just, a heat of warning to those brands that do high volume. Right. Um, yeah. Just pay attention to the replenishment. Make sure you, you partner with your 3PL and ask good questions um, and make sure you have some game plan in advance to where maybe during your peak season, you bring all your reserve storage down to the floor, pallet, right. pallet whatever it is. Um, might cost you more in storage, but the increased output and efficiency is, is so worth it. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious too. I mean, has tipsy elves or, you know, have you ever kind of, has your team thought about like opening their own fulfillment center is that ever been a question that comes up or a thought that comes up? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, I, the, the first several years of, of the existence of tips, we're running into a lot of 3PL issues because of our extreme growth. Mm. So we'd be one, one 3PL that did great in, in year one, year two, they just couldn't keep up with us for whatever reason. Right. Uh, so that we, we were just starting to lose faith in, in the 3PL industry. Um, we saw a lot of companies just looking to make slim margins and just doing a bare minimum to keep your account afloat, mm. uh, keep a paycheck, but they didn't really personally care. And that's just super, super frustrating. Um, so we threw it around, but, and we looked at leases at, at, at a, you know, at a time in Southern California and Arizona near our headquarters and we're considering it, but just the upfront costs and bringing on a right. warehouse and learning everything in house. We just, we didn't want to have to. Totally. It, we, we got to the point where three or four operations were just backfiring on us and we didn't know what else way to go other than right. ourselves. Thankfully yeah. we're, we're now in a great three PL solution and it, it restored my faith in the whole entire three PL industry. Um, so I, th there are good three fails out there. And if brands yeah. are listening that uh, are very frustrated, um, I was right there for six or seven years. Um, you know, late, late nights, stressful nights, almost, you know, three months straight, pretty much a fourth quarter Halloween through Christmas season, just like wake, going to sleep with stress, waking up with stress. Um, just want to pull my hair out, but there, there are good three fails out there. I can assure yeah. you. That. Yeah. You just got to vet them out. Huh? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And that's what, I mean, over the years, we've just learned to ask the good questions because we've been burned and just made right. decisions, bad decisions. And that's the best way to learn, unfortunately, but that's also cost us a ton of money and piss totally. off a lot of customers. Um, and eventually got us to, to a good place. And I and our team probably know a lot more about 3PL operations than most brands hopefully ever will. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely definitely worth your time and investment as an e-com brand to become like a true partner and create totally. like a win situation with your 3PL. Got uh, it. Because the more you sell, the more they ship, the more right. they help you ship on time, the happier customers, lifetime value, repeat business goes up. Everyone's totally. Um, Makes a lot so, of sense. Definitely. Well, Andrew, thanks for coming on Product Sourcing Stories. You know, this was the deepest dive we've had on 3PLs. If people want to learn more about, you know, you or ask questions or find out more about Tipsy Elves, where can they find you? Yeah, definitely. So I think the easiest places would just, I mean, the classic LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to send me a message there. I always keep my eyes out there. And then just Andrew at Tipsy Elves. Um, dot com is my email and happy Perfect. to chat uh, with anybody and yeah sh share war stories nightmare stories whatever it is and, and yeah just, just kind of toss ideas around happy to chat awesome thanks for coming on